ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Welfare organisations fear the number of people seeking financial help will rise after another rate rise. Borrowers are facing the highest housing costs relative to income since at least 1984. And people who have never had to ask for help are now turning to food charities at an alarming rate. Food Bank Victoria alone are feeding the equivalent of an AFL grand final every two days. So how long can that be sustained? The right to adequate food is a basic human right. And that basic human right is recognised in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So why are so many people in Victoria going hungry. We grow enough food. Do governments need to do more so that so many of us can stop relying on the goodwill of charities to feed us? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today. Nick Healy joining you from ABC Shepparton. Nick, interest rates went up yesterday and for many people, including our first guest today, they fear that that was going to be the tipping point for a lot of households. And I'm just not sure how charities are going to keep feeding people at this rate. The stories I'm hearing week to week of food share, food bank, the the people are on the front line making sure that families are taking home some level of groceries, they are seeing demand like they've never seen before. It's harder to find the food that's going out to these people. People who've never had to come forward, never put their hand up and say, I just need a bit of support, they're coming forward as well. It is... We've got to get to the point where we're calling it a crisis. Surely we do. Absolutely. And it's not that they can't afford the food as such. It's the energy costs, the petrol costs, the rent increases, the mortgage increases. But then that being said, Nick, food is super expensive at the moment. And what we're going to try and get to and discuss today is why and and why is access and why is affordability just so hard In a state like Victoria, we are a food bowl. We grow enough food here. Look at where I live. I'm surrounded by food. You know, I'm in one of the food bowls. I'm in the Goulburn Valley. There's food everywhere. Speaking to our local food chair, some of the food that comes to them are people bringing in stuff from their own backyard plots, you know, just growing a little bit extra, giving what they can. We know it's out there. Why isn't it going where it needs to? And for how long can charities continue to feed the people that they're feeding at the alarming rate that they're feeding them? What assistance do they need? And also to what kind of responsibility and changes do governments need to make here at both a state and federal level? So are you worried about where your next meal will come from? Are you struggling to feed your family or yourself and maybe for the first time? What changes would you like to see to see that insecurity taken away. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy is always joining you from ABC Shepparton. We're looking at food insecurity today, Nick, and that was always an issue for some people, mm-hmm. for a, a smaller section of society who maybe needed other wraparound services as well. Now we're talking about middle income earners that are rocking up to charities and are needing food boxes and needing assistance to be able to feed themselves and their families. 
My great concern is that we're not even seeing the full extent of it at the moment. I think there are still so many families out there who are fighting to get past that stigma, that embarrassment of saying, I do need help with this. I think there are more families that need this support who just haven't been able to come forward yet. Dave McNamara is the CEO of Food Bank Victoria. And Dave, it was your stat that literally stopped me in my tracks and I picked up the phone to you directly afterwards. The fact that just Food Bank Victoria alone are feeding the equivalent of an AFL grand final every two days... You were worried about interest rate rises and if they were going to go up. They went up yesterday. How long can you and your team keep running at this rate? Well, that's a very good question. I think since 1930 we've been doing this job and obviously that's not me, that's the community doing this job. Um, 15 years, I've never seen it like this and in the last two years alone, distribution has grown by nearly 50%. So... There is something significantly wrong and I think the cascading effect of these cost of living crisis or we call it cost of loving crisis now um, have had the impact that people aren't able to adapt quickly enough. And so, as you said, we are now seeing over 50% of the people turning up have got full-time jobs. They're working. Um, I spoke to a mum just the other day at one of our markets. Uh, She's just had a baby, Brooklyn, five months old. A uh, real smiler. Uh, she's got three other kids. Her husband lost his job during COVID. He had a new job, got laid off from that. Now he's retraining as a mature age plumber. So that is a very low income to be trying to support uh, four kids. Uh, and just the healthy food that she was able to get from the market, that's what they left smiling. And that's all you want. You want people smiling. Dave, I think this is a really important point is that, you know, we can throw out some of the stereotypes we might have had for so long about who is looking to you for for food boxes, for support. It has changed significantly and you must be acutely aware that this could keep changing. You know, you could see this on the rise. You could see even more new faces as these months, as these rate rises, as this cost of living crisis goes on. Yeah, you're exactly right, Nick. I used to say it was people on the street now it could be people in your street you know this is affecting nearly everyone and so i think everyone a lot of people just don't know where to go and so it's just making sure people are aware of where they can turn for help so you know if they would go to our website they'll they'll know where they can go anywhere in victoria to get help and it really is about taking away the stigma and shame and letting people know that there is nothing wrong we all go through hard times and victoria is a community always comes together to help. We just need to know how and who. We're going to try and get to the bottom of why food has become so expensive when we expect that to change. And in a state like Victoria, where we grow so much food, why forever it's been hard to afford and to get access to. But let's have a chat to Trevor. He's in Rosebud. Hi, Trevor. Hello, Rochelle. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. What did you want to say? I work with the Dramana Community House and every Thursday we give out food share. We've gone from sort of 20 boxes of food to over 60 now every Thursday morning and there's no stigma involved. The people just give their mobile phone number at the gate. We hand them the food that's delivered to us from Coles, I must say, uh, from food share. And the smile on their faces is just unbelievable. I'm, I'm almost tearing up myself now. 
Trevor, it's incredible you're doing that work, but are you finding it hard to keep up with that demand? I mean, that's a huge jump, 20 boxes, boxes to 60 boxes. It is a large jump, and that's also including a large plastic bag full of groceries. The boxes are full of vegetables and fruit for them, and it is getting tougher. So we sort of get into a stage where we have to reduce the amount we give to people so we can spread it more. Yeah, I think... For us, one of the key areas of growth, unfortunately, of disadvantage for food is the Mornington Peninsula. And Duramana, Rosebud, those are the areas where people are really feeling the impact, not just because of housing availability, because a lot of the houses there now are uh, used for short-term rentals, etc. Oh, don't even get me started. I mean, I think the Mornington Peninsula, and Trevor, you would know, you've got the highest rate of short-term stays there uh, and the percentage of having not only affordable but having long-term rentals is a huge issue. Trevor, would you like there to be more done by council, by government? Because we love charities and we love the work that you do, that Dave does, but to be working at the rate and the level that you're at, it can't be sustained forever. Would you like to see some form of intervention? I would like to see some more intervention. The uh, Even extra food from food share, but then people need that. But the volunteers we have are just wonderful people. And there's, as I said, there's no stigma with the recipients. But yeah, anything else that we could do... At the moment, we have a, a little uh, hut, hutch at the front of the community house where we continually load that with bread and vegetables for people to just come along the street and take it if they wish. It's that serious. Trevor, thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank it's you. so important. So thank you. Well done. Yeah, well I, done. I, Trevor's made a really good point, is that the sector relies heavily on volunteers to, to run emergency food across the state. So without those volunteers, that's another weakness in the system of, of care across Victoria. Dave, what kind of government response would you like to see? I mean, what sort of additional support? Is it just about funding? Could it go deeper than that? What are we looking for? I think we need to look at what's the root cause and address the root cause. And the root cause is poverty, the increase in poverty across the, the country and even globally. But here you've got two drivers and one is housing affordability, so shelter and healthy food. I mean, that's what people need those as the basics to feel safe before they can start their journey to self-actualisation or contribution back to society. But if you were to listen to, say, Virginia Trioli's morning program this morning and the pushback that because of the, the small rise that we saw to the minimum wage and now some circles are saying, well, that is the reason why interest rates have gone up again. And when you're talking about the minimum wage, people barely getting by, yeah. those who are quite often on the minimum wage are at the front line of our communities and doing the work that we rely on. And it's always this battle, isn't it? But then to get that small wage increase, but now interest rates go up again. Exactly. So as soon as I heard about the wage increase, I thought of uh, the lady I met at the market. So I looked up the wage for a mature age plumber and then I worked out that at the end he'll take home an extra $5 after taxes, etc. So, I mean, that's great. It's extra, but $5 a day is not a lot of money extra in your wallet. That's a coffee in Melbourne now. It's barely a coffee and it's not going to make those big changes when it comes to what we need to see in terms of households, in terms of the food that's going on the table. One of the things that sort of raised up with Trevor just then is, are we hitting a point where there's no more food to be had for services like you? Mm -hmm. Like, is it getting harder and harder to source what you are giving out? 
It is becoming incredibly hard because you don't just want food, you want the right food. And so, you know, last year we spent $5 million making sure that we had the right food for the Victorian community that was culturally diverse and appropriate and safe for people. And we'll spend another $5 million this year. Uh, That's not sustainable. This text asks the supermarkets why they forbid the growers that are contracted to them from even giving away the produce the supermarkets don't want. Hunger wouldn't be a thing if it wasn't for supermarkets, says Kim. And another, yes, every household should get a basic box of fresh vegetables and fruit. Even the ugly ones are fine every week. This is such a sensible investment. And others saying food insecurity is not about supply, it's about affordability. Farmers need to make money to continue farming or will all suffer. And that's from Neil, who's an ex-farmer. We'll speak to Emma Germano from the Victorian Farmers Federation in just a moment, but we've got one of your volunteers on the line, Dave. Shelley's in Williamstown, who is a food bank volunteer. Morning, Shelley. Hi there. How are you? Shelley. What makes you volunteer for food bank? Oh, I retired late last year and was looking for something and food bank, I looked at a few charities, but food bank is one that the directly connects to people that are struggling and it does amazing work and so I just thought this is the one for me yeah so important and what sort of work do you do what how do you help Shelley I started out um actually in the warehouse doing sort of the packing for um big orders that would go out to places probably like the place in Dramana and and all over Melbourne and then um, was asked would I like to go on the mobile supermarket bus, which is just incredible. And so I go out on that. Um, I volunteer once a week and I probably go out on that on average every second week. And your direct contact with the community and the people that are out there struggling is heartbreaking. But um, the bus is an amazing way to get food directly to communities that really need it. So it's a fabulous thing to be involved in for me it's and you realize how privileged you are and how lucky yeah. i am so it's great Shelley, talking to people who, who do volunteer work like you, one of the things they say is there's also that great community of volunteers, like it is a beautiful environment to be around and, and find those other people putting their hands up and saying, I've got the time, I've got the space to help. That's it. I went along thinking, oh, I won't know anyone and you know what's it going to be like. I've met the most amazing group of people and we've kind of connected out of hours as well, so it's really good fun. It's a great fun day. You get a gym session in for sure because you're really physical <laughs> and you walk a lot. And, um, Picking up lots of boxes. Anything. It's like an hour of squats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're on the bus, you're kind of you know moving through the bus and helping people, restocking the bus, making sure people are okay, moving around again. It's fantastic. So, yeah, oh, Shelley, well thing. done. Thank you. Because we know we have a huge volunteer shortage as well and the fact that you're giving up your time and you're volunteering, I think that's incredible. Talking about food insecurity in a state like Victoria, should any Anyone be going hungry. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy, your co-host today, joining you from ABC Shepparton. And also in the studio with us, Dave McNamara, who's the CEO of Food Bank Victoria. We're looking at food insecurity and whether or not, Nick, government at some point needs to do more. Because, Dave, I mean, let's talk about... How secure do you feel your funding is at the moment? Do you want governments to do more? Are you being given enough money? Have you got a long-term secure piece of paper signed that says the government will support you? 
we've been uh, very fortunate since the bushfires in getting some great support uh, from everyone, from corporate Victoria, from community Victoria and from the state government. Um, I guess the challenge going forward is it's not sustainable for us to be spending $5 million a year on food. And, you know, it's a tough uh, time for the state government as well, um, pulling back on services. So any financial assistance we get is gratefully appreciated. And uh, the the return on the investment for the community is, uh, I think, well, well and truly above the dollar that's given to us. Hey, Dave, we've got someone on the line at the moment, Roberta, who's in Mornington. Roberta, good morning to you. Hi, Roberta. Oh, good morning. Hi, you're, you? you're working with community support there. Tell me about the food program you're doing. Um, yeah, I um, I work as a volunteer and an employee of the Mornington Community Support Centre and um, we have over 140 volunteers that work in the organisation and about six six or seven employees um, and it's um, we, we have seen a huge demand um, for food parcels and food in general and also general emergency relief for many different needs um, and we run two different um, food programs and I also I run a community meal every week and we're having about 70 to 90 people coming through for this meal um, so yeah it's um, it's been a huge demand on us and we have to raise every cent uh, that runs these programs um, yeah and it's really tough we're, we're really yeah and how, Roberta, how are you going with that demand? Like, you know, 90 people a week is absolutely massive. Are you struggling well, to keep up? Well, we get donations of food. So we get Aldi um, gives us a donation of food each week where I mostly cook the food from that for these community meals program. And um, But we also, you know, if I could give a comment about um, people struggling with, you know, buying food, I think... Um, one of the skills that I think we've lost in the in our current generation is being able to budget cook. And so, you know, we cook with lentils and chickpeas and, you know, things that are very affordable. And, you know, we're able to sort of budget cook and we can do that in bulk. So, you know, we've got that skill um, bank amongst the volunteers mm. because a lot of the volunteers are older and so they have those skills. Um yeah. So, and they so know how to do it. I mean, where would we be without lentils to pad everything yeah. out? I mean, they are just so, or, so or without elders to pass back the knowledge that's being lost. Yeah. You know. Roberta, how many hours would you volunteer a week? Well, normally um, normally we, we got flooded out last year, the floods in Mornington, just before Christmas, and our building was flooded and we had to leave. And we're, we're not back in it yet. So I normally coordinated a cafe a community cafe that's free which for four days a week and we would get um, about 100 people a day through there. Um, so that was the program that I ran and so I, I'm um, two-thirds of my hours a volunteer wow. and a third paid. Um, and so when we got flooded out, we thought, okay, you know, we've lost connection with all these people yeah. that need this connection because it's not only about the lack of food it's about the lack of connection. There are very many lonely people 
Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's a lot of what we've been talking about. You're very much about that connection. And, Roberta, thank you so much for getting in touch. I think, you know, the stories we're hearing from volunteers is just amazing and goes back to what Dave was saying about this volunteer group who, who is pushing this forward, Victorians helping Victorians. Rochelle, I'd just say that on the text line, a lot of texts coming in expressing a bit of anger when we look at how supermarket profits have increased while everyone else is doing it so tough at the moment. I think there's a fair bit of resentment there and I have to say I kind of understand where they're coming from. Mm. Well, Dr Rachel Carey is a Senior Lecturer at Food Systems at the Faculty of Veterinary and Agricultural Sciences at the University of Melbourne. Rachel, you are a firm believer that food is a basic and fundamental human right and that especially in a place like Victoria, that no one should go hungry. What's gone wrong, do you think? What's not working? Why why is Dave feeding so many people? Um, yes, that's, that's absolutely right. I am a firm believer um, in treating food as a basic and fundamental human right. I think that um, organisations like Food Bank, other food relief organisations, and you've been hearing from, of course, incredible volunteers are doing a very important job in providing food to people who can't afford to buy enough to feed themselves. But I do think that we need a new approach to addressing this you know, growing issue of food insecurity and hunger in Australia. And um, Currently, of course, food relief is the main solution to addressing hunger in Australia. It's provided by charities, mainly using surplus food that's donated by um, food retailers and, and manufacturers. But there's a number of problems with that approach. So we have demand for food relief that's outstripping the capacity of charities to provide it. Many people don't seek help from food relief services because they might feel embarrassed or ashamed. And of course, much of the food can often be highly processed and unhealthy um, and often doesn't meet people's cultural, personal food preferences because people don't have control over buying their own food and because much of that food has been donated. So I do think that we need a new approach and we need to start having a national conversation about how we ensure that Australians have dignified access to enough healthy food, which is a basic human right, and we need to talk about how government is going to help people to realise that right. So, Rachel, where do we start making those systemic changes? Like, where do we begin? Because you're talking about a very fundamental shift to how we regard food, um, both as a, a human right and on an individual level. That's right, and it's a really good question. So I think that... The first thing we need to do is that government needs to lead. This is not a problem that we should be leaving to charities to solve. Um, we need to have someone in government who, who is, is responsible and accountable whether people have enough food and also for our domestic food supply. So I, I think we need a minister for food, um, oh, both wow. at federal wow. level and at state level as well. So if you think about it, we have ministers for other fundamentals in our lives, education, housing, transport, but we don't have anybody in government who's actually accountable and responsible for our own domestic food supply and for whether people have enough food. So I think that we need to do that. And I think that secondly, we then need to legislate for the human rights of food so that government can be held accountable for ensuring that people have enough dignified access to healthy food.
There's a text here from Lizzie. It says, Morning team, we need to understand when it comes to asking the government to do something that it comes down to us funding that something through our taxes. That comment about secure employment for everyone rings true. We need to make sure unfairness in our economy is addressed, that there's a job for everyone if we insist on fair conditions for all workers. And I know, Dave, I don't know whether we're talking about this on air or off air, but the, the idea of just not having a job and job security security and poverty fundamentally Rachel is that where it all starts well um you know clearly it starts with uh having the people having employment um and having therefore um you know having also having a minimum wage that's set at levels that enable people to buy enough healthy and culturally appropriate food but where people aren't able to do that for themselves and we have many people of course now who are working but are still not able to afford enough healthy food we also need government to be able to step in to help people to do that and there are different ways that we can do that first of course it's about also ensuring that income support to set at levels and enable people to buy enough food for themselves but also we could consider introducing a free school meals program so that all children get at least one mm. adequate healthy meal a day and we can be looking at how to provide food relief in more dignified ways. I think you've been hearing something about that this morning as well. And by that, I mean ways that give people choice, you know, so um, through food relief markets, for example, which are farmers markets, style markets, where people can select their own foods um, and social supermarkets. And if we also look at other countries, for instance, in the city of Belo Horizonte in Brazil, they set up low-cost people's restaurants, which are government-funded, where anyone can go to have a healthy, low-cost meal. So there are different solutions that we can look at, but it is about a fundamental conversation about the way that we address mm. um, yeah. and food insecurity. Rachel, I'm glad you mentioned a, a bit more clarity about what you meant by dignified access to food, yes. because that and culturally appropriate access, I mean, that is going to help remove a huge amount of the stigma. Now, we're already talking about potentially many, many other families, many other individuals who haven't been able to come forward asking for food yet. That would actually change that conversation, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think the stigma involved in accessing food relief is a huge problem and it's a barrier to people getting that support. But if we think about a program such as universal free school meals access, um, then that would remove that kind of stigma. If we think about restaurants and cafes where anybody can access you know, healthy, low-cost food, then again, it removes the stigma. So it's about thinking about providing food relief in more dignified ways that give people yeah. control over their own food choice and that remove that sort of stigma. And I know we'll be speaking about that a little later with Dr Sandro Jamoyo looking at food programs and I know, Dave, you're really passionate about ensuring that that dignity and dignified way of giving people food is a big part of it. Dr Rachel Carey, thanks so much for your insights. It's such important research that you do. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Senior Lecturer at Food Systems in the Faculty of Veterinary and Agricultural Sciences at the University of Melbourne. Dave McNamara is with you in the studio, CEO of Food Bank Victoria. Would you like to see a Minister for Food? I think it's a great idea. Not just because it sounds great, but because then we can do a t- uh, look at all the elements that, as we mentioned out earlier, our elders are transferring in a more systematic approach. So things like how to grow your own food, how to shop, how to budget, you know, how to cook. We've, we've abdicated a lot of our responsibilities about of food out because of convenience and because we're all working so much, we've just got to... And sometimes it's about access. Correct. You know, yep. and we're building 
suburbs without access to fresh fruit and vegetables, but it's sure easy to drive through and get yourself a hamburger. Well, it, it we, is, and that's a problem. You know, we're seeing on the text line many people coming in saying, look, food literacy has to be a part of this equation yeah. as well. Very interested to see this anonymous text saying, we desperately need a minister for poverty and food security. Yeah. I hate the fact that for so many people, charity is the only answer. I'm angry, and I'm hearing a lot of anger I'm on angry the text too, line I at the moment. Say. I really do. How have to are say you that. so smiley and happy, Dave? <laughs> well, Every day I go home knowing that we've helped feed 57,000 yeah. people. So, you know, you can't... I prefer not to live in the anger bit and... Uh, <laughs> Leave that to us. You know. <laughs> um, You're a better man than me, Dave. I'll look, say it, that. It, look, it's frustrating. <laughs> but I think um, the great thing that keeps me going is the Victorian community and the way that I continually see us come together and respond, whether it's bushfires, whether it's yeah. floods, whether it's pandemics. And it's super important that... We recognise each other as individuals and there's no stigma and shame. We all make mistakes. We all fall on hard times. And if people know that there is no judgement, you can get the food that's culturally appropriate to you in a safe environment from someone that cares, let's just do that first. And I agree, we've got to fix all the systemic things that are in the system that are broken. Lots of callers coming through. I know Anthony in Coleraine. Anthony, morning, mate. How are you? Yeah, g'day. Very well, thank you. Th- thank you very much for taking my call. What have you got to say this morning? Um, well, I um, actually, it's great you've got David on because I actually um, worked through the Hamilton, I acted as a middleman in Coleraine for the Hamilton Salvation Army in Acaston and St Vinnie's and I know that the Hamilton Salvation Army get a lot of help from Food Bank in the Warrnambool, which is just amazing, which really holds them up. I, I get a lot of food from, um, I call myself Tins in the Bins, uh, so I basically have, uh, setups in my driveway and in the, our local supermarkets and basically I have bins there with them and people donate non-perishable goods and stuff when they're shopping and a lot of that just really helps. So when Mark does his deliveries every week, he feeds 45 um, hampers just around our Coleraine Cassidan area each week and um, he quite often just he's just short of food, basically, just basic stuff. They're feeding 120 a week every week just in the church in Hamilton just for lunches. It's it's a horrible record he broke last week. He rang me and told me it's gets getting worse. So the situation, as we all know, and and thank you for having this program, is is really growing. And just basically, if somebody like myself who happens to have a full time job and happens to have a, a cupboard full of food, can just spare that tin of tin of food while they're shopping. It just really helps. Anthony, thank you for the work that you do and for sharing your story as well. I mean, that's in Hamilton, Dave. I and know also you'd... showing just how easy it is yeah. to help. But you've been talking about all parts of the state that you're helping as well. This is not an issue that's confined to just one part of Victoria. No, this is from Mildura to Mallacoota. You know, there isn't a community not affected, even our wealthier suburbs. Look, we're doing assessments of every LGA now to understand food insecurity so that we can have a more targeted approach to helping people. So Nick, you mentioned earlier I think food deserts, Mm. Richelle, your point Mm. about these new developments, it's the food swamps that you have to get through to get to the food if you're in a food desert. So that's the fast food, the convenience foods. To get to healthy food is really hard. Yeah, there's so many texts on food literacy that are just coming through, I think, on every second text. So what changes would you like to see? Maybe you want a minister for food insecurity and poverty. Do you think that's the solution? This is the Conversation Hour.
on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy joining you from ABC Shepparton and the CEO of Food Bank Victoria, Dave McNamara, with you this hour as well. Roz says on text, this is a great conversation. Food insecurity issues should be addressed at schools, but for the last 25 years, there's almost been no home economic teachers trained. Now there's also a severe shortage of food trained teachers in Victoria as well. And another from Ben, Nick, that says our food system is broken. Agriculture that supports big supermarkets is driving all things, so many things. Small scale regenerative farming that delivers nutritious food is vital. Food banks shouldn't be feeding our community uh, with the end of the line food. That's from Ben. Well, let's talk big scale and then we're going to talk small scale in just a moment. Emma Germano is from the Victorian Farmers Federation. She's the president there. Emma, when we talk about our food system being broken, the cost of food, access to food, what do you see fundamentally is needing to change at the moment so that Victorians don't go hungry? I just couldn't agree more with the comments that have come through around having a minister for food security and I would say food security and supply chains. We've been calling for that for a really long time because we've almost got this kind of political system now that looks at all of the problems um, or the policy solutions that are required in isolation from each other when in fact if you want a really robust food system, you want to make sure that everybody's got that access. You kind of have to be thinking about how food policy um, is impacted by all the other policies. So whether that's energy policy or housing and accommodation policy, there's so many different factors that are affecting um, supply chain resilience in the state at the moment. And I think we need to have a um, that higher view the way we're thinking about um, the fact that everybody needs that access all of the time and how everything works together. Emma, just stepping back a bit, in terms of what we produce in Victoria, mm. are we growing, are we producing enough food to feed the state? Oh, absolutely. We're, we're feeding, um, we're, we're growing enough. Uh, Australian farmers are, uh, are growing enough to be sending food overseas. So it's not actually an issue of how much we grow at the moment. But what we saw during, particularly during the pandemic, is that inputs that we get and we buy from other countries, all of a sudden they go missing um, or there's a reason why we can't access them. And this kind of food supply chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And so we're seeing really strange shortages of things or um, problems for farmers or problems in abattoirs, for example, there was a shortage of CO2 gas um, that led to a bit of a price spike for some of the meat products on the shelves in the last few weeks. And it's things like, and we go, what's CO2 gas and how, how's it relevant to food production? But we actually have to map out the entire supply chain and understand where our inputs come from mm-hmm. for farmers and processors um, because it's a bit more complicated than just do we grow enough food? Yesterday we do, but if all of a sudden we couldn't get fertiliser, very quickly that could shift. And it, sorry, Emma, what about climate? What about the floods and the hail and... Mm. Yeah, climate's having, we're talking about climate a lot. And I guess my frustration is that we talk about climate change and we talk about emissions reduction. But if what we're seeing is that we're seeing, you know, floods, bushfire, drought, and these things do seem to be coming more often and they seem to be more ferocious when they're happening, we really need to be thinking about resilience. It's not just about emissions reductions. We've got to make sure that when we have a, for example, the the major flooding in in, um, northern Victoria at the end of last year, we still haven't fixed the roads from that. So we're not only not fixing Mm. the problem that happens, we're also not thinking about how to build more resilience into those communities and bettering the infrastructure so that we can better Mm. cope with those events as they come online. And again, that's why we've got to have that 
kind of holistic perspective. Otherwise, we kind of, you know, go down a rabbit hole um, and we might fix a tiny little problem, but we're not fixing the, the entire situation. And it's really important that we, we start thinking that way. There's a lot of frustration that's being thrown towards supermarkets and the profit that supermarkets make, the cost that goes on to uh, supermarket food. And mm-hmm. the fact is, Emma, most of us have to shop at the major supermarkets. Not all of us have access to small little independents or have time to go to farmers markets or do all of those things that we may want to do. The majority of us are shopping from mainstream supermarkets. How and is it even possible for cost to come back? Again, when we're talking about what is broken and what isn't, the relationship between farmers and produce and supermarkets, is that a part of this conversation? Oh, it's, you cannot deny that a food security conversation in this country has to include um, that retail distribution uh, and essentially the, the duopoly that we have or, you know, we might have a third or fourth kind of um, player in the retail market now. That is really unlike anywhere else in the world where you normally see, you know, 12, 15, 20 different supermarket chains where people have more choice and there's more competition. So it means that they can't, there can't be that kind of price gouging. Um, you know, they follow each other, the two majors one day, this one's got something on special, the next day the same, you know, same thing happens um, and it makes it really difficult for farmers, particularly fresh food, um, mm. more so than your broad acre production and um, and things like that, to actually have a choice as to where they're selling their products. So we absolutely need to think about strong competition um, policy in the country uh, mm. and we need to make sure that we can't see that price gouging because it, it, it works against people that are doing the shopping and it works against the farmers and it's really difficult to say, oh, that's it, I'm... I'm you know, cheesed off with whoever and I'm not going to sell there anymore because we know that particularly for fruit and vegetables, we're seeing something like 70% of the stuff that's grown here is being distributed via those supermarkets. So, yes, it's an incredible... um, What about our responsibility, Emma, on the fruit and veg? Because I speak to a lot of farmers that talk about, you know, they've got this perfect produce and I see it on the farm. And But when it gets to the retail store, we want the snow white apple. We can't have the apple that's a bit big, a bit small slightly sunburnt on your oranges, etc. Mm. What what about our responsibility with the retailers? Mm. I think it's difficult because consumers don't necessarily have um, a lot of agency to kind of make that make that point, right? Like there might be lots of consumers out there who would happily buy, but we grow cauliflowers on my farm. And if you don't pick a cauliflower on the day that it opens up, the next day the supermarket just about doesn't want it because it goes from being snow white to being kind of a creamy yellowish colour. There is nothing wrong with that cauliflower, but we will get rejected. So it's a mechanism. Those specifications that the supermarkets put in place is a mechanism to kind of control farmers and control the pricing Um, because we know that consumers, when they've got the opportunity to buy the odd bunch, which mind you, is kind of set up as a, a way to, you know, it, it's still tricky with farmers anyway. It should just be that here are all the bananas. Do you want the straight one? Do you want the long one? Do you want the yeah, small one? They're all bananas. The one? Yep, <laughs> that they're all bananas, right? And consumers, we know that because we've got a little retail shop on our farm where we put all the different size cauliflowers and they'll all get bought because there's a person who only wants a small amount of produce because they live by themselves. There's a family that want the giant, big, huge cabbage because they're going to use it over multiple meals. I We've got to be giving consumers the choice. People who are going to come in. And get That's what right. they need. Yeah. Emma Germano, thank you so much. Emma's the president of Victorian Farmers Federation. On the line, we've got Sammy in Geelong. Sammy, what's the situation in Geelong at the moment in terms of food relief? So we're an agency called Feed Me Ballerine Geelong on the Surf Coast. So we look after the three sort of regions there. But um, we are delivering to 2,000 families every single week. Um, 2,000? 
2,000, yeah, 2,000 families every week. So we're, uh, again, we're not government funded. We're a locally supported agency. Um, we work with places like Food Bank um, where we can get uh, our dry goods and um, things that we make up our food relief for. But, um, yeah, two 2,000 families just in our region um, that we're delivering to every week. Sammy, that's a huge amount of pressure on the work you're doing. How how are you coping? How are you going? Yeah, so we've got a cohort of around 550 volunteers. Um, so we're entirely um, volunteer run. Um, and yeah, it's just every day is, we like to call it organised chaos. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. We've got, we've got a chef who's churning out about a thousand meals every, every day. Um, and these meals get packaged up and sent out on our food relief. So we have a team of food rescue volunteers who will go and collect from the supermarkets. Um, we have a team of drivers who will deliver. And then we also have our warehouse operation as well. So wow. talking it's a about... a huge event. I mean, five. how yeah, can people help out just quickly, Sammy? Because lots of people, when they hear this, they think, oh, I live in the Geelong area. I'd like to do something. Can, can people yeah, jump online? What are you called? Yeah, we, we've got registration forms online or just head to our Facebook um, and, and flick us a message. Um, well done, yeah. Sammy. Thank you so much. I mean, there's just another region yeah. and another part of yeah, Victoria. Feed me. Great. Great organisation. Josh Collings is the CEO and founding member of Acres and Acres Cooperative. And Josh founded this after he lost his home during a bushfire, lives up in the Upper Murray area. And Josh, I guess the, the fundamentals of what you do is trying to support a, a community-led initiative to provide local food and food security and employment through a network of small-scale sustainable farms. So not relying on big-scale agriculture, looking at a community, feeding a community community does that increase food security do you think in the in the area in the upper murray where you are well i think yes um this year due to the uh, floods and stuff we couldn't even plant into three of our farms um so we had five so we still were producing stuff um so we've chosen we've stepped on a little bit of a different model and we've we're supporting other farmers with our tool library and so forth to get their plots up and going. And then micro farms, which is, or micro growers, which is like people that have great growing skills at home to put in like singular crops, get them started. And then they bring that stuff into the store as well. Uh, we've also got our own green grocer now, as of six months ago, um, we partnered with Vic Health who have been amazing. And that is now providing like whole foods, bulk foods, um, well, it's basically a shopping centre, like, but um, at um, costs of, Amazing. you know, like we um, cost plus 30% is what we do on every single item. So we get people coming through from Melbourne and now they're stocking up on the way through because they're like, it's half the price of what it is in Melbourne. So, yeah. Josh, this is clearly yes, something yeah. that's touched the community, clearly something that's making a difference to the community. And it's fascinating because this co-op idea of farming is actually a very old school idea. It's nice to see it reworked for a modern environment and see it functioning so well. Well, it's I wouldn't say so well yet, but um, just with the farms <laughs> stopping was a massive thing. But I think this year, like we're organised, we're already ready for this year. It's the first time we're coming into it like super well planned and not like running behind all the time. So call me next year 
and I'll tell you, it was, yeah. it's running really well. But Josh, can people jump on to Acres and Acres for other communities? I mean, is this a blueprint for how you know other parts of Victoria could potentially work together and feed themselves? Do you think? If you asked me that last year, I would have said absolutely. <laughs> but um, I think we're just going through a stage of like really capturing what doesn't work, what does yeah. work. And we have put together a blueprint, which is on our website, um, of what we've learned up to last year. And I think we've quadrupled that learning to now. And our team's like eight strong in like paid. And then we have a whole heap of volunteers. Um, yes, it could work. In, I think our community, everyone says, oh, your project's too big for this size town. I don't think so anymore. I, used to, I started to agree with them, but I just don't think so anymore. I think this is a model that is going to... You know, and you can see with Vic Health supporting seven food hubs throughout Victoria, um, how this thing is becoming a necessity, not yeah. just. I, a, think, I think this is right. Idea. I think it's about community coming together, especially in regional communities, because it is everyone understands food from its nature, but to have sovereignty over it and agency over it and engagement with it, small rural communities can own their own food sovereignty and show us all as a broader community the relationship with food that we need to have to be food secure. Josh Collins, Absolutely. thank you so much for the work that you do. And as we said, it's called Acres and Acres Cooperative. People can jump onto your website and they can have a look. Thanks so much, mate. We really appreciate speaking with you. No problems. So what needs to be done? Maybe it's your local community. We need to look at Acres and Acres. We need to look at the, the cost of food that's going up in supermarkets, if volunteering. I mean, it just feels like from Geelong to the Upper Murray, doesn't matter where you are, people are coming together and are working to try and make sure that people have enough food to eat. This is The Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy joining you from ABC Shepparton. In the studio with you, Dave McNamara, the CEO of Food Bank Victoria. And we're looking at why in a state like Victoria, where we heard from Emma Germano, we produce enough food. Why are so many people going hungry? Why is Dave, well, not Dave personally, but Dave and his team of people (laughs) feeding the equivalent of an AFL grand final every two days? Someone who I know is very passionate about this, Sandro DeMeo, Dr. Sandro DeMeo, the CEO of Vic Health. Sandro, what role do governments need to play here, do you think? What programs need to be put in place? We've spoken about everything for a Minister for Food Insecurity so that we don't rely on food charities the way that we are at the moment. What would you like to see? Yeah, look, thanks for having me and a great conversation and big shout out uh, to Food Bank for the incredible work uh, that they do. Um, Look, I mean, there is a lot going on and there's a lot that needs to be done. We've seen a really significant increase in food insecurity over the last few years. It started, obviously, with climate change and the bushfires and then the pandemic. And um, what concerns me is that we're also seeing food insecurity uh, in families for the first time. And, and, Mm. you know, it's really sad to think that there are Victorians in such a wealthy state um, that are finding it hard to restock their pantries or put good food on the table. And... There's not, there's not a family, there's not a parent out there who doesn't want to put the best yeah. possible food, but it's becoming, you know, less accessible, less affordable. Um, and there are lots of things happening, but there are also many more things that we need to do. And 
and some of them you've mentioned. So um, it's interesting, absolutely. Sandro, because Dave and I were talking. I read this heartbreaking article that was talking about food insecurity affects how you parent and the way that you thought you would be able to parent. Yeah, hi, yeah. Sandro. It's uh, yeah. we're, we're we're not calling it a cost of living crisis. We're calling it a cost of loving crisis now because I think mm. parents are suddenly having to find a new way of loving their their family because that this is so unexpected. And they are forced into a position where loving is completely different now, not what they expected. And there's a cost to that, mm-hmm. a mental health cost, a physical cost, and a nutritional cost because people can't afford healthy food. Lunch program, Sandro, I know you and I talk about this a lot, but this is another chance for us to talk <laughs> yeah. about it. Look, they are incredibly important. So um, I think the message really is we don't need to reinvent the wheel. There are great things happening across Victoria that we can scale up. So Marupna Park Primary School, big shout out to... Um, Marupna and the Greater <laughs> Shepparton area, um, where, where you know, I know you've already been talking about the importance of the programs that they've run. It's really community-led around lunch, morning tea and afternoon tea being provided um, every day. Uh, and this really came out of a trend that they were seeing of kids coming to school hungry, skipping breakfast and maybe without a packed lunch. And the benefits that they've seen of providing not just breakfast, which we have a you know, really strong breakfast program here in Victoria, but now also providing lunch for those kids. It, you know, it's taking pressure off parents. It's taking the shame and blame away uh, from, from parents and kids. Um, and it's ensuring that you know, kids have the best possible um, start you know, to their education. And they're seeing improved behaviour, outcomes, dec- you know, increased attendance, and most importantly, happier, more attentive kids. And look, Sandro, in the GV, we're also seeing schools take the lead on, you know, providing kids with food to take back home oh, as man. well. They are pushing forward and becoming oh. that almost that hub to, to help out at home. Yeah, and, and, you know, great programs like Stephanie Alexander's Kitchen Garden Foundation, which is, you know, such an amazing innovation that Victoria's taken now Australia-wide, and a shout-out to Steph. Um, you know, th- these are really community-driven Leaders like Josh and Acres and Acres, uh, the seven food hubs that we've been proud to be able to support across regional Victoria. I mean, these place-based responses are really where it's at. They they are making a huge difference. But it does require then, you know, a a, a shift in the system when when communities are having to rally together to feed kids. That's it. uh, And and they're creating their own solutions. It's a bigger problem we need to talk about as well. Sandro, we know you've stepped out of a, a meeting for this and we're about to hit the news, so we'll say goodbye, but I know you're going to be back in the studio with me soon. So Dr Sandro Tomayo, the CEO of Vic Health, when we talk about how all of the systems just aren't working together and what's going wrong and what isn't. Here's just another perspective from Paul in Talamba. It says, I'm a beef farmer and I'm outraged by your conversations with some of your so-called experts. There is a huge amount of food being produced in Victoria. The problem is what happens to that food past farm gate. I'm currently getting between 5 and $5.40 per carcass weight for beef now per kilogram. Yet the supermarkets are flogging it for anywhere between 25 to 50 per kilogram still. Cattle yard sale prices have crashed more than 50% since last October. It's obvious. Who is ripping whom? It goes back to what Emma was saying before, Emma Germano from VFF. You know, there are some, some systemic issues when it comes to the food produced and the food distributed. And there's a lot of areas where that system can fall down. I'll just give a little shout out to Albert who's texted in saying it boggles his mind to hear the numbers that some of these organisations like yeah. Food Bank, some of the smaller organisations are going through. He, he's shocked that in a country as rich as Australia, we are talking about this the way we are. 
And it's confronting and it's hard and the last interest rate rise has been a, a big blow for a lot of people. So I just want to give you a number. You should have it in your phone anyway. It is for you whenever you want it. There is someone there 24 hours a day to talk to, especially if you feel like you can't reach out to friends and family. And that is Lifeline. And they are 13, 11, 14. Dave McNamara, just finally, the CEO of Food Bank Victoria. On behalf of Victoria, can we just say thank you? <laughs> well. You shouldn't have to do as much as you do, you and your team, but you are feeding the equivalent of an AFL grand final every two days. Thank you. Oh, look, it's our pleasure. And and as you said, it's not just us. It's everyone. And just make sure everyone knows school breakfast program across Victoria now with emergency lunch options, with holiday take-home packs and with a cooking program in partnership with state government. We're very pleased that we can help all these kids. And if anyone needs help, go to our website foodbank.org.au and if you can help great it's the take home packs that got me I thought I was going to get through the yeah. show without crying and it's the take home packs that got me I think Nick Healy you're a legend thank you mate I'll speak to you next week I'll be back with you tomorrow take care speak soon